Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ross. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 11, Jim Cominti, Part 3. In this episode, we heard the third hour of discussion between Bob and Jim of them attempting to put together a profile of this scene. This inspired a lot of great conversation on the fan page, as well as some really good listener questions. So after a quick break, we'll get right into them. But today, I'm joined in studio by Bob. Hello. And from across the pond, I'm joined by Janet Varney. Hey, everyone. So right after this break, we're going to deep dive into all your questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it. But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special. From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Alrighty, so we have a ton of listener questions this week. Um, and I was only able to pull a small fraction of them to try to fit. So we're going to try to get them through. We're going to try to keep the pre-show discussion uh, tight and so we, and try to keep answers pretty tight so we can get through as many of these questions as possible. We also have a ton of people on the YouTube Live that are throwing questions at us, which is awesome. I just want to address real quick a couple things. One, the, the shirts. Listen, if you got, I, and I know a lot of people that bought them probably aren't listeners. They probably you know followed the link through Damien or somebody. Now, for those of you that are listening, listen, I'm not a T-shirt company. So I can't field 400 questions about shipping and stuff on the shirt. So I'm just going to tell you guys here because I'm getting a bunch of emails. The shirt, the orders are closed. Uh, the shirts are are being printed currently. I was told uh, by the our, the deal I have with our T-shirt company is that they will be in your hands by the 20th, uh, which is less than two weeks away. So they should start shipping out next week. Um, so be on the lookout for those, but, uh, just, you know, if you email me about, you know, when are the shirts shipping? I don't know. They're coming out soon. Uh, we sold a, a plethora of them, which means a shitload. If you don't know that word, uh, we sold a lot of shirts. The fundraising was awesome. We have been able to pay for the expert witness in full, and it looks like we're going to have close to, or maybe even a little over $3,000 on top of that that we're going to be able to donate to the legal fund uh, for future testing that we hope is coming, uh, that's coming up soon. So so thank you all for buying the shirts. Uh, I, I mentioned last week, I want to mention real quick again, remember, if you're going to the hearing on the 23rd, you can wear the shirts outside. I'm going to bring the shirts. I want to get like pictures of a bunch of people with the shirts outside. It'll be cool. 
You cannot wear those shirts inside the courtroom. You can't have anything that's like promoting one of the sides, which obviously it is. Uh, and also the profanity on it, just not real respectful to have in, in a court. So make sure that you're not wearing the shirts inside of the courtroom. Uh, and with that being said, uh, one other thing I, I want to address real quick on, on here on the fan page, there's been some awesome discussion and there's been some great theories thrown around. One thing that I, I do want to point out, like I've seen a lot of posts that are, they're, they're pretty accusatory of, uh, towards some of the individuals. And I know that's a fine line because I know we're discussing theories of what happened. Uh, but I just I want to caution people for you know I think it's okay to say here's a theory I thought that that might be possible. What do you guys think about this? Is a as opposed to well so and so obviously did it because of da 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 da. And I know we're kind of splitting hairs there, but I, I definitely I get uncomfortable when I'm on the page and there's like people are directly like accusing people of stuff on the on the fan page. Keep in mind we haven't covered suspects yet. We haven't so like like right. none of us know anything really in depth about any of the suspects, which is all coming up very soon. We're going to start getting into that, um, but just try to try to be respectful of the fact. That remember, we're dealing with real people, and we don't want to be in a position where we're 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 throwing accusations around, particularly when we don't even you know have enough information to do that. Even if we were going to do that, so take it easy with that stuff. It's okay to have the discussions, but just try to remember. You're talking about real people that have not been accused or convicted of any crimes when you're having those those discussions. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I remember when I first started listening to Undisclosed, I always thought that Susan Simpson did a really nice job of sort of talking around stuff like that and kind of saying, you know, you can think about this too and you can place it in the, the context of look at all this stuff we don't know because of the police's investigation. Right. This is all the stuff we wish we had answers for so that it leaves it open to, you know, a question you might ask would be about this person because we don't have any of that information because of the police's investigation so that it's as much about kind of the whole big picture right. rather than making it about accusing a suspect. Right. Uh, with all that being said, we're going to move right into it. I want to touch on this week. I'll throw it to Janet first. Um, what were your thoughts on on the end of this discussion. Well, I thought it was really interesting. I think, uh, you know, sort of imagining as I bet a lot of listeners were being in your shoes and kind of having it come around to Jim being very interested in some of the characters that we've talked about, you know, but Mm -hmm. to your point, you said from the very beginning, he didn't have the golden answer, right? He wasn't able to say, well, gosh, I think because of these five things you've just told me, we now know this is exactly what happened. He can't do that either and he was very forthcoming about that but right. um i think i think a lot of people are very much a buzz about a certain person in a certain direction that have you know sort of been overlooked a little bit in this discussion again to your point we haven't really talked about suspects in any kind of official way but i know that we've got a lot of questions buzzing around about uh about that and and we'll get to that yeah and this was tough and it just speaks to the complexity of this case because, you know, I've had so many times when I talked about those like light bulb moments with Jim, I think back to like the Kiao Go case, like we're, we're going through, I remember Mike and I in the office is just setting up. We actually went and bought like dolls that we were trying to use as like, like trying to match up the stab wounds and figure out like, because again, you, as I mentioned, in order to deliver a good and accurate profile, you have to know what happened. Because when you know what happened, now you know the behaviors and the decisions that were made by the offender. And that's what points you back towards the offender. It kind of shines a mirror on them. But in this – and so like in Kiao Gove's case, I was like, I can't figure out like why, you know, why did they stab her? So she had like stab wounds in her buttocks. 
I'm like, it doesn't like. Why would they do that? Like, what, are they just like playing with her? Like, po- like, like, it doesn't make. But they're deep. Like, it's just, it's, I couldn't make sense of it. And Jim's like, well, yeah, she was laying on her back and she put her knees up to defend herself. It was like, right. Uh, it was like that big light bulb moment. Like, oh, now it makes sense that you know, when she's on her back, she's got her knees up, and so then the thrusts end up into her buttocks from the you know right. with her on her back, which made a lot more sense than like stabbing her as she's crawling away or something. Um, so I was hoping for kind of like a light bulb moment like that, but this this case is just it's the the term Jim used is that it's bifurcated, you know, because if you have you know Vicky as the target, then you're looking for a whole different type of person than if Becky was the target. You're looking for a different type of person. So I, I think it was a great discussion, and it opens up a lot of avenues and asks a lot of questions, but uh, it still didn't give us a, a really clear direction. And I'm going to get to you in just a, just a second, Zach. But I, I also I also want to point out because there was it, it's not in our questions, but it was on there was a couple people posted on the fan group. You know, Jim had mentioned the um, you know if somebody had like shut their cell phones off and didn't go up the hill, you know that would be something. You know, during that time, um, that would be something that would be particularly interesting. And people who have like read ahead on the case or have seen like Crime Watch Daily or anything um, know that the, you know the state's case was that Robert and Christian had their phones you know weren't connected to towers during the times. Of the murders, and I had people saying, "Well, why didn't you tell Jim that?" I didn't tell him that because we hadn't been through the cell phone evidence yet. Like I, I've seen what the state said about them, I've seen what Crime Watch Daily has or Forty Eight Hour, whatever, has said about it, but I haven't studied them, ran them through with an expert, which is what I've been doing for the last three weeks, painstakingly. So, number one, I don't know that for a fact, and number two. That's not Jim's purpose here is not to do a full like he's not trying to solve the case. He's trying to look at behaviors and give us direction. So instead of me saying, oh, well, hey, someone did do that. That's not that that's not the, the purpose here. The purpose is him saying, hey, if you see somebody that did this, that's something to look at. And that's something that we now store away as we move on to a suspect investigation. And we remember, hey, now we see this behavior. That's something Jim told us to look for. Uh, so that's something I just wanted to point out. I discussed that quite a bit on the fan page, but I wanted to address it here. Zach, what were your thoughts? The different conclusions really kind of threw me because there's so much we can go from those two places, and it's it's hard to see. And and I honestly, listening to what you guys have to say, mm. I've become more confused about Becky being in the wheelbarrow. Like the more and more we discuss it, the more and more confused I get about it. At At first, I felt like it all made sense. But then now as we're talking about it, the fact that she is deceased before the fire set, which means she's uh, deceased into the wheelbarrow. Either they had to put her there or somehow she fell into it. Mm-hmm. But if, if she's running from the house and she's shot, it seems like very unlikely that she would have fell into that wheelbarrow. So it seems like she would have been moved. Right. I don't I know. There's so many little nuances that I can't seem to wrap my head around anymore and now that we get deeper i just get more and more confused by the the wheelbarrow in particular it's obvious yeah it's definitely the most perplexing part of the case and that's in i think somebody had, had had said something like well it seemed like you were trying to bring jim around to your point of view and that's not really what i i was doing the same thing with him like i did with captain when he says well i think the fact that the wheelbarrow was moved is significant and and so that you know so it seems to be to make the most sense that she's killed out in the desert and they use the wheelbarrow to move her. So, and there was no blood out in the desert. From what we right. know, there's no blood in the desert. So is there any way that she could have been strangled without doing any damage to her throat, to the to the highway, to the, the yes. esophagus? Yes. And we have a question about that. So we'll get to it okay. when we get into the end of the question. But it was, as I'm asking him questions and, I, and, and that's, that's not me trying to poke holes at him, but I'm trying to, 
the way my mind works is I'm trying to, okay, if that's the scenario, let me work through it. Let me think about decisions and behaviors. And it's like, so then you decide to put her in a wheelbarrow. You're going to move her to the house. But why are you moving? There was a, there was a reason you were moving her. So you're going to move her to the house to put her in the house, but she's not in the house. And it, and I'll tell you, people keep asking this question. I think I've addressed it a hundred times. People say, well, maybe the fire was too big. And she, that's not the case. The fire was not too big for her to be put in the house. That's, we know that for sure. It, it's just like, I can't work through why that. The only thing to me that I can make, make sense is that she ran out. She was killed right there. The wheelbarrow was there. They just like threw in the wheelbarrow, lit her on fire and got out of there. So the one thing that strikes me about that is the fact that they, they don't seem to have checked the trail, but they seem to have checked around the wheelbarrow. Yeah. So if she was killed and fell anywhere near the wheelbarrow, there should be blood there. You would assume there would be blood there. If she there. was shot or if stabbed. If she was shot or stabbed, there would be yeah. blood there, which is what we're kind of going with. And then they put her into the wheelbarrow. Mm-hmm. Or was she caught and strangled there? Is there any other areas of disturbance? I mean, there's 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 a lot of going on the, right the, there. The problem is is right from the beginning, you know, the 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 first act of the firefighters was to go extinguish her body, which means so there's all immediately Jeff Williams is out there, walks around, looks around the wheelbarrow. Then the firefighters come with the hose, and and they're walking around. So so like that area is getting disturbed first thing before anywhere else. So yeah, it's 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 just hard to know. They just didn't look there. Right. The, the, I just wish that we had some photos of that path to see if there's any signs in the in the path between the house and the in the in the wheelbarrow, but there's not. Um, and so, with all that being said, let's let's start diving into these questions. Yeah, I actually want to just quickly jump off of that question because Karen came in very early. She came in hot in a way I super appreciate for the live chat that's happening in YouTube right now, saying, "Could the fire in the wheelbarrow?" And this, you'll see why I want to bring this up right now. Could the fire in the wheelbarrow have also been to delay the fire department from entering the house to allow it to be fully engulfed? So she's pointing out that that is the first thing that they did. Could that have delayed things on purpose? I, I wouldn't say that's impossible, but it, but if that's the case, you're talking about a really deep level of criminal sophistication. Like to think to to be playing chess to that extent, where well, if we leave one of the victims outside burning, then they have to put the victim out first. And then that will allow the fire to get bigger. That's some pretty complex forethought. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it, but you know, I believe that we're dealing with somebody that that does have some level, of, a pretty high level of criminal sophistication, but not that high. Like that's that that's that's certainly possible, but I I just think that that's that's a little too extreme for someone to have that that much forethought. Got it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. 
Well, let's jump in with some Jim Clementi related questions. Talk a little bit more about your method of discussion and how you guys got to where you were and the conversation itself. Kristen says, what information was provided to Jim for him to make his profile victimology, crime scene, autopsy reports? What precisely did he know going into it? I think you touched on this a little last week, but let's, if you don't mind revisiting. Yeah. So he, I gave him a a case summary that I put together anytime I do it. So, and it starts out with, uh, and I'll get, I'll try to by Friday have this up. Several people have asked me to put it up. I just, I can't tell you how many hours I've spent on these cell phone records over the last, it's, and so, you know, the, the cell phone records I'm dealing with, it doesn't say at this time, this person called this person for this long. It is lines of there's the MTD and the there's all these codes and the numbers and you got to figure which one was the outgoing, which one was the incoming and then the duration and whether it connected and whether it hit a cell site and if it was forwarded to voicemail. And then you just have numbers and I have a list of numbers that I've had drawn out from listening to interviews, from looking at other phone records, from searching online to figure out whose numbers are whose. So anyway, it's been weeks of that. Um, so that's why I haven't had to, cause what I have to do with this case summary is because it was for Jim, not for public knowledge, nothing's redacted. So the, the, the photos in it all have to be redacted before I can, I can put it out. But it, it started out with, um, the, uh, the, the, a, a good description of the neighborhood, the area of what Pinion Pines is maps of the crime scene that show where the road is, where the house is, uh, where Tim Summerlee lived, where the fire department is aerial photos of the of the crime scene and then it goes into victim most of it is victimology it goes into each person um and everything that we have discussed about victimology there's nothing that you guys haven't heard in there is all laid out for each each individual and then there are the autopsy reports i sent him separately but i broke down what they said in the summary but he had the autopsy reports as well to look at Trying to think. Then, uh, then the items of evidence. So there's, I sent him the photos of everything from inside the car. I sent him um, part of the summary are the photos of the business cards, the photos of the tire tracks, the maps the police officers drew that show where they were at, a description of where they were, the shell casing, a description of like what was done on scene at the very beginning, what the arson investigator saw. And then also, uh, besides the summary, sent him the actual arson investigator reports and the actual body burn experts report. Um, he had all that. And then a bunch of crime scene photos, some that were embedded into the uh, like very specific ones of like Becky and, th- and the bodies and stuff that were embedded into the summary. And then also another file that was sent through Dropbox. It was just like a basically all the crime scene photos he had. I'm probably forgetting something on top of that, but that's that's everything was in. So, so nothing about suspects, everything about victimology, everything about the crime scene, everything about the medical evidence and the area. Got it. I just saw a quick question from May a couple seconds ago. Was the phone conversation that you had with Jim, was that edited very much or at all? I mean, you guys, you gave us three hours, so I'm wondering. Well, it was highly edited, but not not any content. So so like somebody was like, I don't know why you cut Jim off at the end. Definitely did not cut Jim off at the end. In the third hour, um, they were doing uh, work on the internet lines by Jim's house, and we got disconnected. And that was like a half hour of getting that reconnected. Got back on. Started going again, and then his internet connection got bad and started getting really choppy. We couldn't hear each other, um, so then we had to like get on the phone, but still doing the and, and <laughs> so that like all that stuff was pe- like like Kelly's pretty fucking awesome because you guys didn't hear any of that. 
Um, as far as like there any content, zero content from our conversation was cut at all. It was just all cut to make it flow more smoothly because of those technical issues. Understood. Well, I did. I definitely didn't pick up on that. So I'm impressed. Good work, Kelly. Bonnie says, wouldn't it be easier and more productive to have the circumstances, the cast of suspects and the situation or events in order to make a more complete profile of the murderer or murderers? It seems like the profile can change so much based on having all the information available. Jim could have the list of suspects, their locations, the conflicts, their connections, etc., and then make a profile that would be more complete. Or is that just not how it's done in this? Pres- uh, in, I'm sorry. Is that not how it's done in his profession? Thank you in advance, she says. Yeah, that that you, you got it exactly right there at the end. This is not how it's done. So you got to understand what a profile is. It's kind of what I was touching on at the beginning here. It's not a full investigation of the crime scene. What they, a profiler does not want to know anything about any suspects because what they're trying to do is, is specifically, especially in cases like this where you don't have a lot of forensic evidence, is to look at the behaviors that were exhibited on the crime scene and then use that information to tell you what type of offender you would be looking for. So if this, so if in, in most cases, we're able to say, okay, we know this, this, and this happened on the crime scene. So because of that, you're looking for someone that was probably, you know, take like the West Memphis Three case, for example. That one, that profile was pretty, and it was pretty consistent between John Douglas, myself, Jim Clementi. Most people that have looked at that case understand what happened. Have all said this was a personal cause homicide. It was a single offender. It was someone who was mature, had a known personal relationship to at least one of the victims, had an authoritarian. Things like that, you're able to say. Now, you don't want to know, you don't want to be having someone in mind when you're making a profile. That's why I wait to the very, very end to tell Jim anything about any suspects because I want to get a completely unbiased from what you see on the crime scene. What type of people do you think we should be looking for? And then I go, okay, now that you've already made that determination, let me tell you about some people and tell me how those apply to your profile. Right. Um, I just want to shout out uh, Jay, Jay period, which wrote, who wrote something that almost made me feel like, wait a minute, am I Jay and I'm in disguise? Because my first name starts with Jay. Probably no one noticed that. Um, I want to, I just want to jump to this really quickly because it's some, a similar thought that I had while listening to this latest episode with Jim. Jay says, could the stepdad have been the target? If you wanted something from him, you might get that by threatening and hurting and hurting his partner. Then once you got, then once you got what you came for you finish them off. And I had a similar thought. I just started imagining uh, someone with a gun to Vicky's head. This is horrible to talk about, I know, but with a gun to Vicky's head, they've got the shotgun trained on him and they think that he's going to tell them where all of his cash is. Again, this is coming up, I think, for people because we do keep talking about how John dealt in cash so often. Mm -hmm. If there was a sense that there was something in the house, could they have been like, we're going to kill her if you don't tell us where your money is? He makes a move they fire the shotgun and they all and they then also have to kill Vicky. Yeah, it's I was going to say I don't I don't see anything in the scene that that really indicates that and there's nothing really in John's victimology that points towards that other than they did deal in cash, so that's it's possible. The fact that the crime scene's so burned up makes that a hard determination to make because we can't point to oh there was a safe that's gone or there was, you know, something was taken, something's missing. So yeah, that's that's certainly a possibility. I don't, I don't see it that way, but that doesn't mean that's not the case. And that's a, that's a good thought. And I think a few people have mentioned something similar to that, that why couldn't John have been the target and Vicky was like kind of held hostage. And yeah, that's possible. It's, it's certainly a possibility. And then in that scenario would be another situation where Becky came in and interrupted things. Got it. 
Tammy has a kind of out of the box, thinking outside the box question. Uh, Tammy says, have neighbors been investigated as a possible targets? I live in Denver and about a year or two ago, a family, including a baby, was murdered when their house was burned down. It was clearly arson, but the police couldn't find a motive or solve the crime for over a year. The investigation later revealed the wrong house and victims were targeted. A mother and drug dealer sent her teen son and his friends to murder someone she felt did her wrong over drugs. They went to the wrong house, killing everyone inside. That's so horrible. Uh, It wasn't really investigated that way. I mean, neighbors were spoken to. There's interviews with neighbors. Some neighbors said they really didn't like John and Vicky. Didn't like the family. Some said they did. They most of them said they kept to themselves. I, from what we have in the file, I don't see anything that would indicate that that was the case. But, but you know, we we have a lot of indicators in this crime scene that this would be a personal cause homicide. That there, there was there was you know it was very purposeful. They went there with murder in mind, uh, and they killed them for a specific reason. Could it have been a case of mistaken identity? That's possible. But being a personal cause, they would have to be. A similar situation to what she just wrote about where like someone was sent to do the bidding who doesn't really know the people uh, that could be possible. Another thing that we haven't really discussed and Jim and I didn't discuss either, um, but that's been theorized a lot actually as far as people who have like studied the case over the years have talked about it is, you know, Ron was a cop. He was a detective. You know, what if it was someone that he put away that got out and was going to kill him for revenge? kind of another mistaken identity doesn't realize mm. he's not there anymore mm. um it's another possibility i don't think that's probably the case but it's another possibility that we need to keep at the back of our mind yeah darlene says in your other life did you ever come across an arson to cover up a homicide if so what was the motive uh yes um i don't know exactly what the motive was because i wasn't in that part of the investigation but uh i've been to it was a car fire and then when we opened up the trunk, there was a dead body in the in the back of the truck and the or excuse me in the trunk of the car. And I believe it was a, I mean it was it was a personal cause issue. There was you know younger younger guys in their twenties I think that that they were involved killed somebody and then lit the car on fire to try to cover their tracks. I guess okay. you look like you were familiar with the case. I am familiar with the case. But that doesn't have anything to do with this. But yes, I am familiar with the case. Oh, <laughs> I didn't know if you had any more insight into what the reason was because I don't remember. I only remember the fire. It was money. Was it? It was money. Yeah. Mm. There you go. So I, I do have a question though. I, I'll jump in real quick with body concealment. So so typically we've learned in the past that body concealment is usually to hide the body so they the person the person has a known connection so they can get away from the body mm-hmm. or in this case maybe to destroy DNA evidence. Right. Do you feel one way or the other based on this? I think it's forensics in this case because so you got different types of body concealment. So take Heyman Lee, for example, season one, the serial case. Her body is taken to a remote area and buried. So the intent there is to never find her body and therefore never know that she was killed or, you know, what happened. And in that case, that usually is someone not only with a known personal relationship to her, but someone who believes at least that there were they were known that they were supposed to be with them. Meaning this person knows when they find her body, I'm immediately going to be the suspect. So the only way to avoid that is to keep them from finding her body. Same thing with West Memphis 3. That's why that's that part of the profile. Their bodies were concealed in a way that the hope was that they would never be discovered. So they would just be missing forever. And that way that they they don't know that they're dead and therefore 
the person, again, does that because they take that risk and that extra time because they know that due to their relationship, due to the fact that people may have known they were with them, they don't want, they know that they'll immediately be the first suspect or should have been the first suspect. In this case, we have a different type of, we don't have body concealment in that way. Like no one has tried to make them disappear so that no one knows where they're at, particularly with Becky. The efforts that we see going into the house look like they could have been intended to make it look like a non-crime. So you see with arsons like that, I believe the intent was let's light the house on fire, let's let's set the fires in remote places. The house burns down. It's you know, it's so far remote it's going to burn the house to the ground and when it's over, people will just think it was a terrible tragedy, a house fire. But as Jim put it, but then Becky undoes that. And that's why I continue to go back to Becky was the interruption. There was all this effort put into the concealment of the crime, not the victim. There was, a, there was an effort for the concealment of the crime. The intention, in my opinion, was to make the house fire look like there was no crime committed. Becky being burned outside undoes that, which to me means Becky was the interruption. She is the one that messed up the plan. And so then, then we look at if we look at her independently, there was concealment done, but again, it wasn't the type of concealment that was to conceal the fact that a crime was committed or to disappear her so people don't know what happened to her. The only thing the fire accomplished, which is what I think was the purpose, was that it destroyed forensic evidence. Essentially, they don't have time to mess around anymore. They've got to get out of there for whatever reason. Somebody's coming. They hear the sirens. They see lights, lights on, whatever it is. Like, okay, I don't have time to hide this body, so what I need to do is make sure that when they find the body, they don't find any of me on the body okay. is why. So it's a, it's a very different type, and that does not necessarily mean, as far as she's concerned, that it is a personal cause, someone with a known relationship to her. To me, that points towards someone who understands forensics enough to know that if they pull my hair off of her or if they find my skin under her fingernails, I'm fucked, so I'm going to quick light her on fire so that doesn't happen is the quickest way I can handle that and then get out of here. Real quick, I just I just had a light bulb go off in my head. Great. And I'm going to work through this in real time here with you guys and tell me what you think about it. But from what I just said, the big question is why not put Becky in the house? Right. If she's already in the wheelbarrow, why not put, why not put her in the house? And I think that may be part of it. So the concealment that was done in the house. The intention was to hide the fact that there was a crime. Once Becky comes, they kill her. She was the interruption. Now they're just going to quick light her on fire because I think there was probably a struggle with her. There's probably forensic evidence there. I think the reason it supports what Jim was saying, the reason she wasn't put into the house was if the interruption was there's siren. I see, I see a fire truck coming. I see cars coming down the road. Now, when they lit the, the fire in the house, their intention was, we're going to light this fire. It's going to burn all this stuff up. By the time anybody notices, we'll be gone. And by the time the fire truck gets here, the house is going to be burned down. No one will know what happened. That's a good plan. It really is a good plan. But then with, with Becky, they put her in the wheelbarrow. Maybe they put her in. Now, that doesn't that means she could have been way out in the bush or she could have been right where she you know, died right there. Just throw in the wheelbarrow, take her into the house, and then they look up and see, I'm just putting myself in their position, right? They look up, oh, shit, someone's coming. Right. That fire may not progress to the point we need it to 
to cover up the body, and she's got my DNA all over her. So now this is not going to work. I can't go put her in the house because I can see there's a fucking fire truck on the way right now. And if they put the fire out quick enough, then I'm screwed. So let's just light her on fire now. The way that her hands are burned up so badly in the picture, I've wondered if they didn't pour gasoline on her body, but then also pour directly onto her hands because her even though her hands are up in that boxer's position, her fingers are gone. Like mm. like the, her fingers have completely burned off. But I'm, I'm I'm trying to work through this thought. But I think that that could be the reason was if the interruption was that they saw someone was coming. So so Becky's not planned. They killed Becky. They've already they've already set into motion their plan for in the house. But now Becky comes. She runs away. They kill her. They're both throwing the wheelbarrow. Let's throw her in the house, and she can burn up with the rest of them. Oh shit! The fire department's coming. Like we're she's not going to have enough time to burn up. We need to get our DNA off of her. Light it and go. What do you guys think? I could see it as plausible, and I can also see I can see the gas can being gone as well because I I think they could have taken it with them. Yeah, and not, and I don't mean completely taken with them, you know, to wherever they've gone. But like, if they are fleeing on foot, they could have ditched it anywhere. And being right. that they didn't expect that, or or the, the police didn't suspect that, they didn't look around for an extra gas sure. can a quarter mile down the road. Right. So I mean that that could be very well where the other gas can went, the one that we would assume yeah. would be by. I agree body. with you. I think they probably took it with them, but I think they probably took it all the way with them. I just think that with that something like that. A neighbor coming across a gas can a week later would probably because like somebody called the police because they found like weeks later they found a pair of shoes okay. out in the desert and they're like hey if I, and there were like a full pair of like old men's shoes that were mm-hmm. for some reason out there they weren't related to the crime as far as we know but I think if somebody found but I but I think you're right though that if if that was the case where it was we don't have time so it's it's not that the fire's going too much to get her into the house it's that they realize they're not going to have enough time to destroy the evidence that's on her if they put her in the house. So let's just burn her here, take the gas can, and get out of there. But Janet, yeah. you had already you had already figured that out ahead of I me. thought that, no, I didn't figure it out by myself. I genuinely thought that that is where we landed last week. I genuinely thought we landed at, because I remember saying like, and they take the gas can with them and they don't run back into the desert onto that trail where the wheelbarrow tracks are. They run off, they have to run off mm-hmm. to the side into the brush somewhere and they've got it with them. And the reason that they had to set her on fire there is that they saw that there was an interruption like Jim and you had said and that she they couldn't get her right. to the house in time. Or now, as you're sort of expanding that outward, it could just be that they knew we can't get her to the house in time. Or if we even if we can, she's the the fire won't reach her in time, which is a similar, very similar reason. Yeah, that that's the part that was that was new to, to me was and that's the reason I, I struggled with it was. Well, if it's. You see somebody coming and you don't have time to continue rolling her to the house. Like, that's ridiculous. It's 70 feet. You've already brought her 600. If, in, in, if she was killed in the desert, you've already brought her 600 feet through rough terrain up and down. But then it's like we don't have time for the last 70 foot of smooth path downhill. Like, like th- that, does, that was the part where I was struggling, which is, yeah, but it, it, to me that's faster than going to the – garage and getting a can of gas and bringing it back out and lighting and, and lighting her on fire. But so I guess that, that it's that, that's that last step for me that, that I would, maybe other people were, I wasn't seeing yet was, but if they knew the fire trucks were coming, then that wouldn't be enough time for her body to fully burn. And they need that forensic evidence to burn. 
And that's why she's lit where she was. Right. There's a lot of discussion in the uh, YouTube chat about sort of undoing everything that you and Jim talked about and undoing um, kind of where you are with all of your theories and setting Becky as the target back as the target and that the parents were killed after she was killed and that she was maybe set on fire because they didn't want her to see. I'm sorry. There's there's so much going on there. Um, if I devote this rest of this episode, that will take the rest of this episode to ju- to go in that direction down that road. I'm just concerned because I still have a ton of listener questions. Are you talking about the YouTube chat? Correct. I understand. So I guess what I'm saying is, friends, I understand that there are a couple of you in there that just do believe from all the evidence that's been discussed and everything that's happened on the podcast that Becky was a target and that her parents were collateral and that the fires were not planned Um, And I totally respect and understand that's in direct opposition to everything that's sort of been discussed. I just I just can't I don't know that we have time to reconstruct all of that from the jump. So that conversation will just have to continue as we continue to theorize about what happened and why. Yeah. And if we move through the other questions we have, maybe we can maybe we'll get into some of that. Yeah, I just I just really I just want to get all I just want to get all of these in because they they're very diverse in what they're covering. And and I want to make sure we get there. Um, but I wanted to acknowledge that. Jessica wants to revisit the visibility of the fires. She says, based on the location of the fires in the home, how long would they need to burn to be visible from a distance? Uh, there's a lot of unknowns there. The big the big unknown is that we don't know if there was a set point upstairs. So that the fire was spotted when it was coming out of an upstairs window. If there was gasoline poured in the upstairs room with the window open, it could have been 10 seconds. If it was only set on the bottom, there's still a lot of unknowns, but with a good draft and you know gasoline burning pretty heavy, it could have reached up the stairs to that point. I would, I don't know, maybe five minutes. It would take a few minutes for the fire to spread to that because to, you need a flash. Oh, you need the heat to go upstairs, raise the temperature of the room where the window was to its ignition temperature, which is 451 degrees Fahrenheit at about the three foot level to cause a flashover up there, which is when the flames would start to come out the window. So um, you can't give an exact time, but you know, I would say three, four, five minutes at least before to get to that point. If there was no ignition point upstairs. Okay. Carrie says, do you still feel after talking to Jim that the crime and, or the fire was criminally sophisticated? We've talked about that a little bit, but the two small pores of accelerant in the house could have meant all they had was one small can of gas with it. Just a thought. Yeah, it could be. The thing The thing that I keep saying that caught my attention, and it could be totally wrong, but what caught my attention with it is the intent of the fire was to cover up the bodies burning, but they didn't pour accelerant on the bodies. That's, to me, what speaks to some level of sophistication, that they, they had a plan to if, – if they only had a small bit, why not pour it directly on the bodies and burn it? That's what – that would be like the knee-jerk reaction, what I would expect from most people who don't really know much about fire, to be like, I need fire to burn the victims, then I'm going to pour gas on the victims. Even if I have a little bit, I'm going to pour it on the victims. But instead, they left the victims where they lie, which I think, again, you know, for me leaning towards criminal sophistication, which Jim doesn't necessarily agree with, but I, I think that the victims stayed where they were as part of that sophistication. We didn't touch them. We didn't We didn't leave our DNA on them. So we're not going to touch them and move them. We're going to leave them right where they lay. We're going to set fires in, in strategic places that are going to cause this whole house to burn down. So even if the bodies are found, we still don't have forensics on them 
um, because we weren't, you know, we didn't struggle with them. But the plan is for the house to burn down and the bodies not to be found. If if there was gasoline poured in the kitchen and on the bodies, then I would say, yeah, maybe they just didn't have much. And actually, it wouldn't have even drawn a red flag for me to begin with because that's what I expect people to do. That's what I've seen people do when they when they do arson fires. It's usually not this calculated. This kind of loops back around to this idea of Becky. Was she supposed to be home or was she not supposed to be home? Teresa says, if Becky was running to her car to flee, for example, where are her keys? Would the perp pick up keys in the midst of the action? Uh, Teresa's not as concerned about purse, wallet, license, etc. All you need is a key to get the car started. So that's still part of the whole conversation about where Becky was, where she was supposed to be, and whether or not it was truly known that she wasn't supposed to be home or maybe she was supposed to be yeah. home. It's it's a really good question. Um, so if the if the theory is that she's running out to the car, where where are the keys? I think that we're depends where the keys were, right? So let's say she's upstairs and she comes down and finds this. I don't I don't think she's gonna go back. You know, I need to go up and get my keys. She's just trying to get away from the people that are inside. So for whatever the scenario is, she's just trying to get away. She goes out the back door. There's five cars sitting out there. Maybe one of them had the keys in it. Maybe. Maybe her keys were in the visor and the police didn't find it. I don't know. But, um, you know, I think that just means she didn't have the keys in her hands when she fled. I think when she fled, you look at her shoes off, her socks halfway down, down her foot. I think she just took off running with whatever she had. And I think, you know, it's one of those, it's, it's fight or flight and I'll figure out the details later. Maybe the plan was just to continue running, you know, run to a neighbor's house. Who knows? Right. Uh, Kyle says, given the great insights from another listener regarding the pink frothy substance, which I think was Emmett, if memory serves, uh, the pulmonary edema, Mm -hmm. being inconsistent with a gunshot or stab wound and more consistent with strangulation or suffocation, along with what we now know about the fairly low frequency of hyoid fractures and strangulation victims, how has your theory of the most likely cause of death for Becky changed, if at all? Any chance of having an expert review and provide thoughts on cause of death? Thanks. Yeah, I definitely want to get a, an ME to to look at it, to review it. As far as the, the edema, yeah, that's something that you see a lot of times in strangulation cases is like a frothy edema that comes out of the the mouth. The factor here that changes things up a little bit is the fire because the, the fire will also cause that, um, but you have to have fluid in the airway in order for that to happen somehow. So if if she was in the wheelbarrow and wasn't burned, and had that frothy edema coming out, I would say I, that 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 frothy, bloody substance coming out of her out of her mouth and nose. I would say, yeah, she was probably strangled because you have the fire, which you know the fire heats up whatever's inside the body cavity. You know, heats it up, creates pressure, which then finds a way out, which would be you know if it's anywhere in the airway, lungs, or airway area, it's going to come out the mouth and nose. That's so. If you look at like Werner Spitz's book on fire, that's one of the things that you're looking for is that there was some sort of fluid in their airway is that they have the, the frothy substance coming out of their, their mouth and nose. So that's where it's different. I don't, I don't know enough to answer that intelligently if I'm going to be honest with you. Um, so I do want to have an expert look at it. Got it. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. 
More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Still some questions around the area between Becky and the back door or just around the wheelbarrow. Jason wanted to revisit the idea of, you know, whether or not there were no shoe prints found between Becky and the house. The area was definitely searched for blood. We feel confident that that was the case or no. No, we don't we don't have any evidence that it was searched at all. So we don't the the, the path between the house, the back door and where Becky's body was, we have no photos of the ground there. We have no reports of, you know, we looked at that area. So we I mean, it's possible they looked and didn't find Zero anything, info. but we have no indication whatsoever in the police file that that area was looked at at all. And I think, and I think that's, I think it probably wasn't. I think they, they see, they, they see her body in a wheelbarrow and there are tracks leading from the wheelbarrow. I think their minds immediately went to, oh, they moved her body in the wheelbarrow, which isn't crazy. I mean, it's, it makes sense. Right. And so they follow the tracks of the wheelbarrow. So they're not looking anywhere else for tracks because they're like, well, obviously her body came from this way because the tracks come this way. And and they could have, you know, that, that could have been what happened, but it's frustrating for me because as I'm looking, I'm thinking that's probably, you know, it, it, I would say it's, it's 50, 50 if she came from that way or if the wheelbarrow was just sitting there. Right. And she could have come from somewhere else and they never looked. Right. Donna says, what was in the vicinity of the backyard that the wheelbarrow could have been used for? For example, in one photo, Donna saw a pile of chopped wood, wondering if the tracks could have had anything to do with the chopped wood. Yeah, I mean, there's chopped wood back there. There's You can see in some of the crime scene photos, there's freshly planted trees that have stakes next to them, tying them off. They're, they're pinion pine trees. Um, I've heard reports from, from people that, that family, family has, I haven't seen it in the police file. That's why I say I've, it's rumored that. They used to take the wheelbarrow back and um, they didn't say they took the wheelbarrow back, but that they would go out back in the desert and dig up pinion pine trees and transplant them. They were in the process of doing that around the house. So uh, there's a lot of reasons there why the wheelbarrow would have been used. It doesn't necessarily mean that it was was or wasn't used in the crime to transport the body, but there are several things right around the area that you can see that would have been moved in a wheelbarrow. My biggest thought about that, though, is if she is truly out in the field where the area disturbance happened, why would they bring her back up? Why right. would you not just leave her out there? I mean, you could burn the body out there. Right. So what what is the purpose of bringing her that far? The only thing I could think of is the, the only so what I what I brought up earlier about them realizing that they wouldn't have enough time for the fire to burn up the forensic evidence. With if that's the case, now I can I can I can buy into that a little bit more where if they're like they're lighting that they're lighting the house on fire and that's the plan. And then she, I still don't see her as the target. And then, you know, to me, she's an afterthought. She's the one that's still outside because she was last. She was the afterthought, I think. But if she's killed out there and they're like, all right, well, let's put her in this wheelbarrow. We'll throw her in the house with the other two bodies. And then they're on their way in. And then when they turn that corner, they see a fire truck coming and they're like, oh, shit, we don't have, you know, we just we just picked her body up and moved her. Our DNA is all over her. We need to, we need her to burn quickly and she's not going to burn quickly in the house. So I can, so, so now I can see a scenario with that little bit. And it seems, I know it probably seems a lot of you like that's a, that's not that big of a difference. In my mind, it's a huge difference. Okay. 
that that's why they stopped there is because they didn't think that her body, that there would be enough time for the fire to progress to burn up her body in the house. And they had to burn up her body because I think we can all agree on the fact that they picked her up and put her in the wheelbarrow, which means they've left DNA on her regardless of how she was killed or what the struggle was. So that, so that's, I could see that, I guess I could see, okay, well, let's get her back and put her in the house with the other ones. We're going to light the fire, light the house on fire. The whole thing will look like a big accident and we'll get out of here. But then they just, they were interrupted with, with people coming. But again, to me, that indicates again, multiple offenders, multiple thought processes. And it also indicates to me that they had already lit the house on fire before they went to get the body. Or you have one person lighting the house on fire and another one or two people out getting her body to come back. And, they, and, and things just broke bad when they turned the corner. Because where the, where the wheelbarrow stopped, if you're out on the scene, you're, you're kind of the, your view down the mountain is blocked by all sorts of stuff. By like, by like trees and bushes and the house. Because they come back to the south where the trail goes. And then it makes a left turn, uh, which would be to the east. And at that point, they're behind the house. The house and the pine trees around the house are blocking the view. But then as they clear and they turn to the right, which is right where the driveway is and goes to that path, that's where now you have an area that's now opened up to the driveway. So that would be the first place that you can see down into the rest of the, of the, of the Pinion Pines area down the hill a bit. So I could see them coming around and that's where they see, oh, there's lights coming. There's, you know, there's, there's fire trucks coming. I'm still not convinced that what, that's what happened, but I could see that being, okay, we just need to light her on fire then and get out of here. Okay. I'm going to try to get back to the YouTube chat. I've got to get through the rest of these questions and I know we're running long. Juan said, how do we know Vicky was shot point blank to the head? I was the, under the impression she was badly burned. And I did see some uh, questions about that in YouTube earlier, just to acknowledge that. Yeah, it, it, it's possible she was. So if there was no fire, with 100% certainty, you can tell that she's shot point blank. When a gun is pressed against your head, and I know we've discussed this before, so I'll be very brief, but when, a gun is, when the barrel of a gun is pressed against your skull and you pull the trigger, at the point of entry, there will be a massive gaping hole. It will blow the, the bone apart, which is what we see on Vicky. On the side of the entrance wound is a big, massive, broken hole in the skull. So there's also a lot of fire damage. And so that's noted in the autopsy, or I think it was the, the medical examiner that, sa- that says it could be that the fire burned up more of that bone and there could have been not as much damage as it looks like, but they still lean towards that being what it's from. And you have to look at look at the rest of the skull. Nowhere else on the skull are there like chunks missing from the fire. So it looks to be that there's a big deformity in the skull on that side, which would be indicative of a point blank shot to the head. Okay. I think we got to get into Javier. We got a lot of conversations about that happening in YouTube. We got a lot of conversations or a lot of questions that came through in the submitted questions. Caroline says, after hearing Jim's thoughts of a possible motive for Javier and him and, and, and the fact that he inserted himself so quickly after the murders, do you lean any less towards Ron? I'm not leaning towards anyone right now. I want to make that clear. Like I'm, I'm still investigated. The, as, as I said, it's not like I've kept this stuff from you. I haven't looked into suspects in depth yet because I didn't want to do that until we were done with crime scene and profile. But I can say that Javier is more on my radar 
than he was because that's something I didn't really consider. Um, but the one has nothing to do with the other. I mean, I don't I don't think Ron did it. I don't think Javier did it. I don't think Robert and Christian did it. I don't know who did it right now. Um, so I don't I don't I don't I don't have any particular direction that I'm leaning. The only thing with Ron is when Jim's asking what was actually accomplished by this crime, the only thing that I can see that was for sure actually accomplished is that I say for sure, but we still haven't verified absolutely that that it was that $175,000 that was coming in was coming from Ron. As I said last week, I mean, it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, it's probably a duck, but we can't. We don't know for sure that, but if that's the case, then one thing that was accomplished was that he didn't have to pay that huge, large sum of money. And that's the only thing that points me in that direction. There's a bunch of things that points me away from him, for sure. It could be him or Harper the Clown. It doesn't matter. If you have somebody that is going to have to pay the victim a large sum of money, and then when they end up dead, they no longer have to pay them, then that person is a person of interest. Right. Uh, fair enough. And I, by the way, I know somebody said this in the YouTube, YouTube chat earlier, but I did think that the conversation about the pen was really interesting. It was a short thing that you and Jim touched on, but I, I thought he brought up an interesting point about, well, if he's retired, then what are the chances he's carrying his pen around anyway? Or, you know, that it doesn't feel as immediate as somebody who's assigned a uniform who knows where their pen is at all times. I thought that was interesting. Right. Karina says, did you ever tell Jim about Javier mentioning the possibility of finding his footprints at the crime scene during the police interview? I think that could have helped him with a profile even more. No, because that would have been for Jim. That's something that would be, you know, me leaning Jim in that direction rather than looking at the behaviors at the actual crime scene. That's post-defense behavior. It's something that I have noted. And, and, you know, I'll circle back to Jim. I consult with Jim a lot of times on these cases, so it'll, it'll come up. But it's definitely we're going to talk about that a little bit this week when we get into cell phone records. I know it seems like a weird thing to come into play with cell phone records, but uh no, that's not, at this particular point, that's not something that I would address with him. Do you want to keep going on the Javier questions? Do you want to save those for a, a suspects episode? How are you feeling, Bob? Yeah, let's let's try to get through the ones that that we that we have submitted. Okay, Sarah says I would like to know why you didn't suspect Javi. Uh, what was it about him that made you think he couldn't have been a suspect? I know how you're going to answer that. Personally, I was seething at my phone when I listened to his interview with the officer on scene. With everything I've learned about investigating cases, there were so many red flags that jumped out to me from the get-go. So I'm very curious uh, as to what your take on him would be. Maybe you could help the ones of us who are seeing red flags to be able to see differently. Yeah, uh, to be frank with you, so like when I've read through, so the, the cell phone evidence that I've been going through, I've read the reports on the cell phone evidence. So there's like a, for each record, there's there's like a, the officer's kind of summary of what's going on. Uh, and so I had read those before, and essentially the the reason that I never really considered Javier a suspect is because according to that report, uh, it says that his phone was being used down in Cathedral City or somewhere down in the valley at the time of the murder. So it was like, well, if he's on his phone an hour away, then he couldn't have been connected. It was, it was that simple. Oh, okay. Kim says, even before this episode, I had suspicions about Javier. I worked for a criminal defense attorney for many years, and something about his interview just made me wonder about him. Do we think he asked her out that day since she broke up with his cousin and she said no when he lost it? I agree that killing the parents could have been a form of punishment and being the shoulder to cry on. Yeah, I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't have any way of knowing that at this point. Lynn says, how easy or difficult is a hike from the Friedley house to Nick's? And that, of course, being the red truck owning friend of Javier's. Right. Would they cross paths with Tim's car? We haven't heard anything about Jacob or his roommate. Is that in the works? Uh, as far as the hike to Nick's, it's 
two-ish miles. It's down towards the south end of the neighborhood. So it would be, I mean, you could just walk down the road and you could get there without crossing paths with, as a matter of fact, I, it's hard to say. There, there's, there's so many, you look at the map and you think, well, this neighborhood isn't complex at all. It just, there's, there's, there's just a couple ways down the, down the mountain. It's, it, it's hard to explain, but when you're there, it's much more confusing. It's all these dirt roads that all look alike and they all seem to go one direction and then they don't necessarily go that direction. Uh, but there were basically three roads that come up into Alpine Road. The one um, Tim came up would, would be just east of the house, maybe 100 yards or so east of the house and head south. But if whoever left, left to the west and then turned left on that road, then they would be completely missing uh, where they were at. So there were ways to where they would. And also the way the neighborhood's laid out and it's so sparse, you could walk down the middle of the road. And if you saw a car coming, you could just hop two steps to the side and be hiding in a creosote bush as the car went by and then go back, get back onto the road. Um, and what was the second part of that question? Uh, we haven't heard anything about Jacob or his roommate. Is that in the works? Yeah. So we're going to, we're doing cell phone evidence and then we're going to start getting into each specific suspect. And so we'll be, we'll be getting into all that as we, as we move along here. Okay. And then finally, Michelle says corruption always seems to be a factor in wrongful conviction cases. Will we be spending any time looking into possible corruption as it relates in this case and to the agencies involved in convicting Robert and Christian? Yeah, for sure. Um, we'll be looking into potential corruption. And then also there's there's a lot of people connected to this case that we don't know a lot about because they were connected to law enforcement. You guys already know that, that Javier's father was the DA's homicide investigator. Um, his mother was a state assembly woman. As, as we start going down names and going through suspects, you're going to find that, oh, and his dad was a cop and his dad was a cop. His dad was a cop. Um, Ron Friedley was a cop, you know, so there's a lot of, uh, we'll get into, but, uh, apparent blinders that were put on based that could be because of law enforcement affiliations. Okay. Well, there's still so much to come. Um, I'm so sorry that we did not get a chance to really dig into some theories on the YouTube chat. I will take some photographs of them and maybe we'll be able to jump into those as we continue the conversations about just what happened in what order, since it's still in question, even after this final episode with Jim Clementi, who did the best he could right, to yeah. help out and figure out what, what went down. Uh, but uh, we're excited that maybe you doing a cell phone episode means that you'll be at the end of this painstaking thing you've had to do for the last several weeks. So I'm looking forward to that, if not for no other reason. Now, it's not just cell phones, right? You, I mean, you do have some other... Phone records. It's phone records. Yeah, right? it's not just yeah. So it's 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 cell phone records, home phone records. It's it's pretty shocking. We have an expert that's going to be coming on to talk about a couple things, um, and, and know that as we're as we're getting into this stuff, that, that I'll tell you this: it could be a little bit of a weird episode. I was telling Zach before we came in here. I, I have a ton of information here. I don't know how I'm going to make it into a narrative. Um, so it may just be me sitting here reading off. <laughs> so I, I've created a master list for the day of the crime that literally like all of the, the, the known parties that we have all of them in it. So it'd be like at this time, Jacob called Javier. And then at this time, Javier called Becky. And at this point, this number text Becky. And at this point that, so there's, there's a lot of that. We have uh, an expert that is, has worked on some location data for us that is all going to get expanded on when we get into each individual suspect. And we're going to get into more records when we get into the suspects. 
for this week, I'm basically going to be covering the day of, and, it, and it's pretty, I, I hope you guys will be in as enlightened as I was by doing this, where it starts to paint a picture to me. Like I can almost see this going down, what people were doing and how, you know, how they were thinking and how they were reacting to certain things. So yeah, that's, that's all coming up. I'm still not completely done. I've got one more person to add into. It's a lot of, I'll tell you this, it's been a lot of, a lot of rabbit trails because every one of those entries that I mentioned, it'll be this person called Becky at this time. And we're like, well, who the hell is, what is that number? And then, you know, I do some research and it might be an hour's worth of like, I think I remember some, you know, you listen to an old interview and it's like, aha, that's their number. And then you're, well, well, how many other times did they call him and how are they connected to anybody else? And there's just, there's a lot of that. I'll quit rambling, but I'm, I'm excited as you are to be done with that process and to get the information out to all of you guys. And then y'all can spend three weeks digging through them. Well, this is what I like. I, I like when we get to the nuts and bolts. The The theories are what they are, but when we actually right. get to the nuts and bolts of the facts, that's what I want to hear. Yeah. And 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 I think a lot of people have share that sentiment that, you know, this is our process. We go through every season. It's a lot of victimology and crime scene investigation and profile. And, it's, and this one has taken longer than most to get through it uh, because of the complexity and the number of victims. Uh, but now we're getting into facts is where we move on from here. So we use all that as our foundation for for you know what we know up till now. And now we're looking at each individual person, what they were doing, where they were. That'll be beginning on Sunday. And uh, Janet, next time, next week, you'll be stateside? I will. All right. I don't know why that matters. We're on Zoom. I'll be uh, stateside too. Yeah. <laughs> All right, everybody. Well, we'll talk to you guys next week. Thanks, everybody. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. TruthAndJusticePod.com where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnik, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just 
click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at TruthJusticePod. To follow our personal accounts on social media, I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. This is your season 12, episode 11. Nope. I'm just going to start over. (laughs) Hello. This is my first time on a microphone. Hello. Please cut that out, Kelly, so I don't look stupid.